Bethel, campus pastor here at MPI Church. We would love to welcome every single one of you guys here this morning. We're so thankful that you are here joining us to praise the Lord. Uh, we love y'all. If we can just please stand as we get ready to praise God. For those that are coming in there by the entrance, please join us. We're going to get ready to worship God and to share a quick testimony. Let's give it up to my brother, Jared. want to praise God. He's, I, I have so many things I could testify about. Uh, our new son, God has blessed us with another boy, and that's a gift from God, you know, that just the fact that he's healthy, he's in the world now, you know. Uh, but I, I do want to just share about the, the Bible study that was, uh, that my wife and I are doing on Fridays, and our pastor Joe just said, hey, it's the time. And listen, I trust my pastor. He's always been really dead on, kind of getting a sense of where we're at and so he, he told my wife and I it's time you start a Bible study and I had a lot of fears and doubts like this is gonna kind of go belly up because I we actually tried to do one before and it, it didn't succeed anybody ever fail in the past anybody's failure ever keep them from trying again okay uh, I didn't have that option okay so I was like man I don't know how this is gonna do but in the past few weeks as we've been getting together on Fridays and People have been coming, and people's lives have been getting changed. People's hearts have been getting touched. People have been meeting Jesus and getting saved and bringing their friends to our home, and it's just such a joy, and, and God is so in it, and it just shows that, hey, if God's in it, who could be against it, right? I just want to share this verse from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's just bow our heads and let's just lift up our hands to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You're the God of second chances. You're the God who takes our failures. You take our past. You take our mistakes. And, and you make us fruitful. You make us awesome. You make us glorious. You make us holy. And we love you and we praise you. We can't do anything without you, Lord. Jesus, we confess today, you are the vine. We are the branches. And we choose today. We abide in Jesus. And, Lord, we want to bear much fruit, fruit that will last for your glory. And we want to give you the praise that is due your name. Everybody say amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. serve an awesome, strong God in this place. 
Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together like this. Come on, God is good.
you're here Jesus I know that you're here Jesus in this place come on all over this room lift up your hands say God I know you're here in this place God the Bible says that if we don't have faith it's impossible to please God come on if you're lacking faith this morning say God give me faith to know that you are here because he is we want to please you this morning, God, knowing that you are here. We have faith that you're here, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We know that you're in this place, God. Jesus, we don't want you just in this place. We want you at the center of our lives. We want you in the midst of our lives from day to day, God. Monday through Saturday, God, not just in this room, but in our morning, God, in our evening time, God, we want you with us. Thank you. 
Strength singing out from my heart. 
Come on with all you got. Come on, this is your prayer. This is your declaration this morning that we're going to put Jesus number one in our lives. Come on, tell him. Jesus, you're the center of my life. It's all about you.
heavens oh God Jesus be the center Jesus be the center from my heart to the heavens Jesus be the center be the center of it all be the center King Jesus see some of you in this room have lost focus some of you have lost focus, but you're about to get refocused in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been so focused on your own problems. Some of you have been all, all so focused on your family when God gave you that family. Some of you have been so focused on your marriage when God is the one that gave you that marriage. Some of you have been so consumed with yourself, but you wouldn't even be here if he didn't allow it. He is the center of it all. So if your heart is not saying what this song is saying today, I just tell you it's time to get refocused. It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to be cross-eyed right now. Look to the cross. Come on, from my heart. From my heart. Sing it out.
God. It's all about you. It's all about you. of you, oh God. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, I want to chant his name. Let's start singing his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on. There's no other name like Jesus. No one who can save no one who can deliver, no one who can redeem you of your sin. There's only one name, only one name, only one name. Come on. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. King Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the power. It belongs to you, King Jesus. It belongs to you. You are worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for our sin. Worthy is the Lamb, the spotless, blameless Lamb. Worthy are you, Jesus. Some of you got a praise in this place. See, I don't think some of you realize what you've been saved from. See, I've been saved from some junk. I have been saved from some junk. Give them some praise. Thank you. 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 Hallelujah, Father. We love you, Jesus. Oh, God, we love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba, for salvation. Thank you, Abba, for a way out. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Hallelujah. Come on. Give them some praise in this place. Let's give them some praise. Hallelujah, we worship you, Lord. Have your way, King Lord. Have your way, King Jesus. Have your way, God. Amen. You guys can make your way back to your seats. Hallelujah, Lord.
is worthy of it all. He is worthy. I want to take this time to dismiss our children to the back. You can follow Miss Tina. Hallelujah. It's all about you, Lord. My name is Lauren Sienski. I'm one of the pastors on staff here with MPI. I just want to share some good news with you this morning. See, when I was a sinner, when I was doing some crazy stuff, I needed this good news. And when it came, it was sweet to my ears. You can be saved. You don't have to live like this anymore. That's good news that I don't have to go to hell for all the things that I have done. It is good news that the man Christ Jesus took my place on the cross. Come on, it needs to be good news for you today that you can be saved. That you don't have to live a life of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. You don't need those things in your life. See, the weight of your sin when you don't have Jesus, it's on you. The weight of your sin is on your back and you don't need to bear it anymore because there's one that bore your sins. There's one that bore your shame. He bore the guilt that was once on your life. If you can go to my scripture, 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I can testify to that. I used to live a life of sin. I used to have the weight of my shame and my guilt and my sin on my back. But Jesus took it all on the cross. See, we don't have to do that. He already took care of it. He already made a way. He already died. He took it all. And now, me personally, I can live for righteousness. By his wounds I have been healed. I used to be so hurt. I used to have so much pain, but I have been healed of everything that I've done. Self-inflicted and what have people have done to me. I have been healed because of the cross. And that could be you this morning. See, the devil will lie to some of you right now. And he'll tell you that your sin is better hidden than forgiven. But I have to tell you, God sent his son so that you can be forgiven. So that you don't have to be in this rat race of sin anymore. If you will stand to your feet with me this morning. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he made a way out for you. It is for you today. If this message was for you, if your heart is being touched by Jesus Christ right now, by the Holy Spirit, we have Pastor Griselda and Pastor Berto over here. They will pray with you during our time of fellowship. Come to them. They'll talk to you about salvation, what it means to be saved, how to get discipled and, and learn to live like Jesus wants you to live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are, oh God. 
I thank you, Father, that you saved my life. I thank you for the lives that you saved of the people in this place, God. And for those, Lord, who have not made a decision, I pray, God, that today they would feel your Holy Spirit tugging on their heart. For those who are not right in this room, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would feel a tugging on their heart, that they would, be, that they get, that they would get right, oh God before it's too late. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, because you are patient with us, oh God. You are patient with those who don't know you, God. You are patient with those who do know you, and we thank you, God. You are not like us, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. We're going to say our confession of faith together right now. We say this every week because this is what we stand on. This is what we believe. And though people try to change it, we are going to stand on it anyway in Jesus' name. So on the count of three, let's say it. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Give somebody a high five that you don't know.
Good morning, good morning. Who's excited to be in church this morning? Make some noise. It is so exciting to see all your beautiful faces. Welcome to Metro Praise. Our main service here is every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Elevate. Every Friday is at 7 p.m. for a youth 11 to 18 years old. If you know anybody in those ages, invite them, come on out. And have them join that service. We'd like to take some time right now to welcome our first-time visitors. Let's clap it up for our first-time visitors. Just wave your hand if you've never been here before. If you did not receive one of these at the door, if you could please just raise your hand. Our ushers will give one to you right now. If you could fill out the bottom portion, drop it in the drop box in the back. And we would love to connect with you throughout the week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for service this morning. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Let's say it together. Loving God and loving people. And we want to do that with all of our heart. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to Jesus, connect you through our, to our church, through life groups. Somebody say life groups. On the back of your handout is all the uh, locations of our life groups and the kind of life groups that we have. And I want to give you a quick snapshot of what's going on just this week with our life groups. So today we have our single mamas with child care provided, 5 p.m. They're going on a date. They're going to all go out together. They're going to have an awesome time. So if it's your first time here and you're a single mom, please join them. Uh, Wednesday this week we have our King's Kids. Infant to 11 years old, it's every Wednesday, bringing them on by. And this Wednesday is our family fun night, and we're having a harvest fest, okay? So it's going to be a lot of fun. Come dress up with your costume. I'm going to be Wonder Woman. So it's going to be a lot of fun, okay? And then Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas and one at the Walkers at 7 p.m. with child care provided. And I just want to talk to some adults right now. If you are not going to one of these Bible studies on Fridays, you are missing out on life, okay? It is full of life, full of fellowship, full of glory from heaven, and you have got to be there. Bring your friends, don't go alone, and let's blow up their houses because they want their houses to be blown up with a lot, a lot of people. So join them, and then Saturday we have evangelism, all ages. Meet here at the church at 5 p.m. and share your faith on the streets. It will challenge you, it will grow you. Then we want to mentor you. Welcome to your new life. It's seven steps of spiritual growth. This is our one-on-one. we got leaders ready to take you through this, especially if you're new and you've gotten it right with God and you want to grow in your faith. Find a leader to take you through this. And then when you're done with one-on-one, you go into our 201 class Sunday mornings with Pastor Jared, disciples that make disciples. This is where we train you to be a leader, defend the faith, live free, live holy, all that good stuff, okay? And then we want to send you out to share your faith, keep winning people for the Lord. And we believe that we can have a goal, that our goal is 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches in the city and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, clap your hands and say amen. By God's grace, we believe that it is possible. And it is not by our strength, but it is the power, by the power of God. And every single one of you in this room plays a part in the big picture. Amen? And just so that you can see, we're already making lots of babies. So that's a part of the plan, too. We're going to get to 100,000. We've got to multiply somehow, some way. And that's one of the ways. And we got a whole bunch of new babies here. I was at the front door just visiting. It's like one after the other after the other. It doesn't stop because somebody else is going to get pregnant next and it's going to just keep going. I don't think we've ever had a time like this. We're like known as the baby boom church. This is like baby boom times a million. So praise God for all these wonderful babies and God bless the children's workers back there. 
on all these newborns and their mamas. Amen. Who's excited about giving this morning? Let's turn to givingbook.org on your phones. We are starting a new section of the book. It's section four, 10 hindrances to overcome to be a generous giver. So for the rest of the year, this is it. We're going to finish this giving book. We've gone through it from January 1st up until this rest of the year. Now we're going to be on section four, and we're going to learn about those 10 hindrances that you need to overcome so that you can be a generous giver. And today it's uh, lesson one, overcoming greed. So if you could turn to your Bibles to Matthew. I have to go back because it's giving me problems. Overcoming greed. Turn to your Bibles, Matthew 6, 24. We're going to take our time because it's a new section here. Um, It's not working on my phone, so I'm just going to use the screen up here. Definition of a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's command. So if you take inventory of your life, you just got to think, what are hindrances in my way right now that are keeping me from obeying God's commands to the fullest? And we want to make sure that we get rid of those so we could be in alignment with God's will. And here's Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Somebody say amen. So let's get the three main points from this passage of scripture. Number one, no one can serve two masters. Notice how Jesus states that the number one competing master for men's heart is money. Somebody say money. Why is that? Because with money, man can temporarily act as his own God. In pride, man says, it's my money, and I could do whatever I want with it. How many of you guys have learned through this whole time we've been teaching that everything we have is because of him? So yes, we have financial uh, prosperity through our hands, and we can do with it whatever we want, but not if we want to be right with God. It's from him and to him and for him are all things. And he is the reason why we even have air to breathe in our lungs, the reason why we wake up every morning, so it all goes back to him. Number two, greed is valuing money above God's word. Many people think that the sin of greed is just when rich people act wicked to get more money. For example, crooked politicians, the dishonest businessmen, perverse entertainers, etc. However, according to the Bible, greed is whenever we choose to value money over keeping God's commands. And that could go into keeping the tithe and offering away from God. Or, you know, we're desperately trying to find a job and it's like we're not going to prioritize Sunday church. We're not going to prioritize anything, you know, that, that, that takes our time away from making money. So it's like you're going to take that job because you're so desperate. It doesn't matter if it's on Sunday mornings. We have to be very careful with our finances and our time. Because if we put our job before coming to church on Sunday, that is having greed in our heart because we're trusting the dollar bill instead of Jesus. Serve God. Number three, serve God, not money. When God is your master, money will work for you. However, if you make money your master, you will not be able to serve God. Therefore, obey God's commands concerning your finances. If we keep back, it'll never be enough. If we give it away, we'll always have more than enough. Come on. Summary. Overcome greed by making Jesus the master of your finances. How many of you guys want to do that this morning? Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything after your tithe. Number two, repent if you have not always obeyed God's commands in your finances. 
Number three, make Jesus the master of your heart and your wallet. Stand up to your feet with me this morning and let's recite this powerful confession over our life for our finances because we want to have our life in order, our family, our marriages, our children, and our finances because God wants to bless us. He wants to set us free from, from anything that would hinder us. So, so on the count of three, one, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Amen. We're going to prepare to give at this time. Again, a tithe is a 10% of your total income. So if you have $100, you're going to give $10. And an offering is anything above that, an amount between you and the Lord. And right now we are in the middle of a missions fund. So on the envelope, if you want to give towards our missions trip to the Philippines coming next year in the summer, Mark out the amount on the envelope, and we want to continue to encourage you guys to be faithful with those giving pledges, and we're going to see God do amazing, amazing things. Let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your word that pierces our heart, God, and keeps us aligned with your will. I pray, oh God, that our heart's desire would be to be uh, humble that it would be to be generous givers, get rid of any greed in our life, God, of putting any type of financial blessings before you. You are number one. Bless the gift and the giver this morning. Prosper their families, their finances, on the jobs. Give them raise and open doors of employment, God, that no man can shut. And we just trust you. We believe, God, that all that we want to do through Metro Praise to win the city and the nations, you will provide, God, through your generous givers. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. All right, how many love Jesus? Can I get a hallelujah? Woo, can I get a whoop, whoop? Amen, amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis as we start a brand new series. I am so excited about this series, counting down to the end of the year. We have 10 weeks left until the year is over. I'm going to be dropping it like it's hot every week on this new sermon series, Your Identity in Christ. Put up that picture for me, please. Always the notes are online and on our Facebook page if you want to check it out or mpichurch.org. If you ever forget, it's just right back there. Look at the sound booth. Check this out. This is a cool picture that Monica made for us. She's a part of our church, even though her family's in 
Georgia right now uh, as her husband serves on the military base. You see Jesus there, and what do you see over Jesus? Like a thumbprint. You see a print. uh, And how do we use thumbprints in our culture today? for identifying people, right? And so I want you to get this in your mind today. You are going to learn your identity, your spiritual thumbprint according to the Bible. The Bible is going to tell you who you are, okay? So open up to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and now for all the weeks left to the end of the year, I want you to come expecting every week to learn about who you are and to bring people that you know that they need to learn who they are according to the Word of God. Now, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, I want you to think about all the different explanations that people are giving you to who you are. You could get a self-help book, and a self-help book that maybe Oprah would have had or Dr. Phil. They'll say, you're a pretty good person. You're good on the inside. Every now and then you make mistakes. But if you can just look on the inside, find the good in you, you can be all that you were meant to be. So this idea that is promoted in our culture today on the pop culture is be the best you can be. Now, that's an answer. There's also other answers. answers. Different religions give different answers. Uh, Some religions believe that you were born a good person and that you're ultimately a good person, like Hinduism or, or Islam. Like, you're a good person. You can do good, but you just happen to choose evil. And so if you can just learn just behavior modification, how to do more good than you do bad, then you'll work it out. If you're believing that as a Hindu, if you can do more good than you do bad when you die good karma will come to you you'll be in reincarnated not as an animal but as an upper class citizen and that's why they believe in the different caste system in india you'll be born again again like a brahmin or in the hindu uh, muslim culture if your good outweighs your bad you can get led into paradise and receive rewards so that's their answer those two major religions have the answer that you're really born good And all you need to do is just change your behavior. Self-help books say look on the inside. Different religions say just do a little bit more uh, good than you do bad. Is that the explanation from the Bible? Does that describe what the Bible believes? No, the Bible actually tells us a totally different story. As a matter of fact, it stands in opposition to our culture and to other religions. Christianity stands alone to actually believe that you're born a sinner, that you aren't born good, you're actually born a sinner. Now, how do we as Christians prove this? Well, we can certainly go to a scripture and say you're born a sinner, and I'll show you that today. But not only do we show it from the Bible, we can show it in practical living. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many of you babysit children? If you don't have children, raise your hand. You're around children. How many of you grew up with a younger brother or sister? Raise your hand. Okay. So all of us have been around children. Let me ask you a question. Who teaches children to have attitudes? Where do they get it from? Is someone sneaking around into daycares and to, into cribs telling the children, now you be sassy with your bobo. Now you listen to me. Don't you ever listen, uh, you know, don't you ever do what your mom says. Throw a fit when she asks you to do it. Is someone teaching babies to do that? Who taught my little Bethany to lie? It, it shocked me the first time she lied. We asked her if she did something. We knew that she did it, and she said that she didn't. I watched my uh, other one, Hannah, lie. 
Who taught my son to be rebellious? Now, some of you might say, Pastor, that's easy. He comes from you. But if we're all born good, shouldn't he have started off good? I've had a lifetime to mess myself up, right? I mean, that's the way somebody would think. But who taught my son rebellion? You know, just the other day, he's playing out in the backyard, and how many are enjoying some of this nice fall weather, right? I mean, this is some good weather right now. I'm loving it. It's not too hot, not too cold. You can hang outside and be under the sun and be a little warm, but you can be active and not have to have a sweatshirt on. I love it, okay? It's really cool. So we're enjoying the weather, and what do we tell him? You go out and play. Don't come in. You stay out and play. And then after a little while, he gets tired, and he wants to come in. Now, by the way, there's seats for him out there. There's a couch for him out there, and there's plenty of space for him out there but he wants to come in and so we tell him no you stay outside we want you to enjoy the nice weather we want to raise you countrified boy you're gonna stay outside but what does he do after we told him not to do it he waits till mommy's in the kitchen daddy's in the office and then all of a sudden you can hear his little feet Pitter patting on the on the sidewalk, coming into the the door, and then you can hear the screen door open. Who taught him to be rebellious? We told him to be outside. Now you see, when we as Christians look at this, we go, we know why, because children are not born good, though they're beautiful and they're 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 beautiful creatures of God, but they're not born innocent. They are born because of Adam and Eve's sin. They're not just here by default a good person. And so we're born as sinners. Now, we may be innocent in the sense that they or we, and when we were children, nor they have chosen sin. That's true. A child doesn't choose sin. And that's why we believe if they die, they can go to heaven. The Bible says the children of God belongs to them, so he doesn't judge them as he would judge us. But yet, they're not innocent from Adam and Eve's fall. And I want to show you that. Are you with me in the book of Genesis? Look right here. I'm going to start with the bad news and give you the good news. Everybody say, preach it. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing that we see is that we were created holy. We were created like God. Now, the Bible doesn't say just man was created like God. The Bible says man and women, a woman woman was created like God. So scroll up, brother, so you can keep up with me. Everybody say created holy. So there is no doubt from the Bible how we started out in creation. We were made in God's image. But is that how we stayed? Did Adam and Eve stay in that perfect garden, in their perfect nature, with a perfect relationship with God? No, what happened? What did they do? They sinned by eating the fruit that God told them not to. Turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'm going to have you work your word today. You all ready to do some spiritual exercises? Let's get physical, physical, let's get physical. I'm just going to pretend you were all thinking pure things when I was singing that. Just going to think that nobody else took that the wrong way. Physical, physical. Okay, so we're going to work the word. <laughs> I'm like embarrassed for myself right now. Hate when that happens. In my mind, it sounded like the right song to sing at that time while we were working the word. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Look at what the Bible says. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Nothing, no big deal. Did God say, hey, I didn't mean it. You can eat from the fruit. You can eat that fruit from the tree. I didn't really mean that you couldn't. No, what happened? They got kicked out the garden. 
Now the Bible says they began to die. They began to age. They knew they were naked. They didn't know they were naked before. How come Adam and Eve didn't know they were naked? The Bible says that the glory of the Lord was upon them, that they shone like a light bulb. You know, if you look at these light bulbs right now, you can't see the maker or the label on them because they're so bright. But if you turn off that light bulb, you can see, you know, General Electric, a label written on it. They couldn't see their body. It was luminescent as the glory of the Lord shone through them. They only knew the glory of God. But one disobedient act... They now see their body. The light on the inside had been turned off. Then God kicks them out of the garden. Now, why does God kick them out of the garden? So that they will not eat from the other tree, the tree of life, because then they would have been stuck in a sinful body for eternity. So if you ever wondered, why did God put an angel in front of the tree of life? Because after they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, get out of this garden. You've got to go. And then he put an angel in front of the tree of life, and he said, don't let them touch it. Why was that? Because if mankind would have came back to that garden in their sinful state and ate from the tree of everlasting life, they would have been eternally damned. Because isn't that what happens at the end of the age, as we talked about last week? Eternal punishment, there's a resurrection. The wicked and the righteous are given their body. But those who have been born again get everlasting life. And those who were not get that body for everlasting destruction in the lake of fire. It's all at the beginning, is it not? It's right there. It's clear. We're made perfect in God's image because of free will. We made a choice to sin. And then we're kicked out of the garden. We now know we're naked. We're clothing ourselves. And skip ahead to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Look at how Paul describes this cataclysmic event. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to how many people? All people. And how do we know that people are born sinners? Because all sinned. How do I know my child is born a sinner? Because eventually they will sin. They won't sin just because they made a bad choice. They will sin because they are a sinner. Now, once again, we're not here to discuss where children go. There's no place called limbo. Some have heard that from the Roman Catholic Church. They actually changed that over time just to show you how unreliable they are with their doctrines. But they once believed that children went to a place called limbo. They still believe in a place called purgatory. All of that is nonsense. The Bible only talks about heaven and hell. And the Bible was clear when he spoke to children who wanted to come to him. Disciples tried to push the children away and say he's too busy. But yet he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to these so let that answer the question for you what happens to children if they die but do not be mistaken children like you as a child were born in a sinful state now is there good news to this absolutely go back to your notes please how many want to know who they are according to the bible now i don't have a self-help book here for you I don't have a song to sing you that's a top 10 song on the radio right now. I will tell you what Jesus said. Amen? I'm going to show you what the Bible said. Now turn to the notes and look. We were created holy. We were born fallen in Adam. And then we became sinners by choice. So just because now we're born sinners doesn't mean we all sin the same way. We then choose our flavor of sin. Now, some people don't even understand how they got the taste for the flavor that they got. 
But they have to be honest with themselves and say, I still have chosen this. For example, I never chose in one sense to be uh, uh, given towards anger because I was a child that just had a frustrating, rebellious personality. But as I got older, though I didn't know where that taste for anger came from, I had a choice to whether or not I would give in to anger. And so I began to develop my personality as I grew older by choosing anger. So nobody is born uh, addicted to a certain sin. After being born a sinner, we choose the sin that delights us the most. Now, sometimes our sin brings us pain. I've talked to people from the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender community, and they say, I didn't choose this. This is just how I am. And that may be right in one way. They may not remember where they got frustrated sexually or lost their identity, but at some point, this became their choice, and now they may say, it hurts, and therefore, that proves I don't choose it. But that's not true. There's a lot of sinners who choose sin that hurts, but they still choose it. And this is where we go deep down into our psyche. And we have to now investigate why do we choose things that even hurt us. Because there are sins that we love and we enjoy. Everybody here has sins that they love and enjoy. Maybe for you it was perversion. You love and enjoy perversion. Maybe for others it's gossip. Maybe for another it's jealousy. And, the, and there's something of a temporary pleasure that you get because the Bible is very clear that sin can bring temporary pleasure. But then there's these other kinds of sins that we become our worst enemies. There's this sin of self-loathing and self-hatred. You know, the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself, and some people don't love themselves, and that's why they can't love their neighbor. And, and they would probably tell you, well, I didn't choose to hate myself. I didn't choose to be in this position. But if they look down into their soul, they will see at some point they yielded themselves. They gave themselves over to this mentality because I believe that the Bible says we become sinners by choice. Look at Romans 3.23 quickly. We're create, we were once created holy, we were born sinners, and then we choose our sins even if they hurt us. I've heard a lot of excuses, but I will believe the Bible over those excuses. Amen? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The book of Romans is an ex, a, a, a exemplary book on our nature. So if you want to read the book of Romans during this time for the next couple of weeks, you will grow so much in your understanding. Look at what it says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does everybody see that? We've all done it. Now go quickly to the book of James. We've all sinned. But now you'll see why you choose the sins that you do. Go to the book of James, chapter 1, and I want you to see how desires will come from you to choose sin. How many have ever sinned before? How many know there's sins that you did that you liked? How many are going to be honest about that? How many know that there's sins that you did you didn't like, but you did them anyway? They had you by the neck. They had a hold on you. They, they, they demanded from you. And so let us not be deceived, my friends. Look at uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is going to tell us where our sin comes from, starting in verse 13. Yes, we were born sinners, but how do we choose our sins? Everybody say, when tempted. Look at it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
No one should say God has made me this way. No one should say this is God's fault. When you are tempted, you cannot point back to the creator and the creation and say it is that fault. No, you might have been born a sinner by Adam and Eve's fault, and that is true. But when you begin to feel temptation, that, my friend, is between you and that sin. It's you and that flavor that you have. No one is responsible for that except you. Now, I know in our world, we don't want to believe that. We want to have drug rehabs that don't talk about God and your sinfulness. We want to have sex rehabs. We want to have all of these things that will kind, uh, kind of treat you like you're out of control in your life. And, and, and yes, there are addictions that people have that make them out of control. But I think that we have uh, made it too easy for people to remain in that wickedness instead of holding people responsible. And I want to tell you, biblically, you will be held responsible. You won't be able to go to heaven and say, well, I was just a sex addict. You won't be able to go to heaven and say, well, I just had a bad temper because this is the way my parents treated me. Now, there, there may have been effects from your family in your life, but at a point of your identity, you chose this and this became your sin and you're responsible. So no one, when they are tempted, is supposed to say, God has tempted me because God cannot be tempted by evil, evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now listen to this right here. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil, evil desire and enticed. They're dragged away by that evil desire and they're enticed. I got to do it. Jose, would you stand up, please? I got to do it. I got to do it. My brother, would you turn around for me, please? That does not entice me. You may sit down. Yeah, exactly. You may be seated, sir, before we get you turned on. Or turn, I should say, I'm sorry, before we get other people turned on. Because it may entice somebody else. Freudian slip there or something. I don't know what's going on. Lord, forgive me. Just to recap, pastor had a man stand up. Do a spin, and pastor was honest when I said I was not enticed. But yet there may be another man here that gets enticed by men. I get enticed by women, and I'm not going to have my wife stand up because I don't want to make people stumble either. <laughs> but why is that? Why is this my flavor and not that my flavor? Why is it there's things that you do that I don't do? Why are there things that I do that you don't do? There's the answer. Dr. Phil may not like it. Your high school counselor may not like it, young people. Your co-workers may not like it. Other religions may not like it. I don't care. I believe what the Word of God says. This is what it says. This is the root to our sins. We were created holy. We were born a mess because of Adam and Eve. And then in our life, we start choosing the kind of person we're going to be. And those things grow up in us and bring death. It's those things that bring death. It's when we begin to make excuses and start to justify it and start living it. And then if we'll be really honest and we start enjoying it and feeling normal with it and we identify with it, it's at that place we have died. We don't get the life of God. 
So don't be deceived, my friends. This is the truth of what's going on. Look at the next part. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. How many know there's a culture trying to deceive you? How many know there's pop stars trying to sing it? I was born this way, Lady Gaga. How many know there's a mindset that this is not true and they're going to be upset with you? But we got to tell them what God said. Come on, somebody say amen. Let's go back to the notes. It's going to get good. I just got to warm you up right here. I got to warm you up because I got to tell you what the Bible says. It sounds so opposite, I know, than what we've heard from others, but this is the truth, and the truth will set you free. We don't say this because we're angry. We don't say this because we're better than anybody else. We say this because it is true. It is the identification of all humanity. We can get mad and shake our fist at God all we like. We could burn the Bibles if we wanted, try to rid them from the earth. We could get a whole culture to say something different, but it would not change one dot of an I or cross of a T to what's in God's word. So what will I do? I will stand on culture, or rather, I will stand on the word of God while culture blows by me like a river. I will stand against the stream. Amen? And the Bible says, on the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Okay, so that's the condition that we're all born into. We can all relate to that. Now watch, there are two kinds of people on the whole entire planet now. There's just two kinds. Everybody say two kinds. Two kinds of people in this room, two kinds of people on the street, two kinds of people in your family, two kinds of people on your job, two kinds of people in government, two kinds of people in entertainment, two kinds of people. How many kinds? Two kinds. Saints and sinners. That's it. There is no other breakdown, my friends. Saints and sinners. Now, some of you have a wrong definition of a saint, and I'm about ready to bless you with it today, amen? I'm going to give you the right definition. But there's only two people on this planet, saints and sinners. How many want to see it? Okay, go with me quickly to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 3. Who are saints? Are they people who were dead a long time ago, and now we got pictures of them on our wall? Saints are little icons that we put on our car and kiss before we drive so we can be safe. Show me one place in the Bible where any saint is ever dead. Show me one place in the Bible where they ever pray to a saint. And I'll be the first one to start praying to St. Cletus if there is such a saint. You understand? We don't even know what they're talking about. You didn't even find this in the Bible. And since we're making up saints, we'll just keep making them all up. St. Cletus is a saint, right? Saint Flacco, we'll we'll make up any saint we want. But it makes no sense. I'm not going to play make-believe. I'm living by the Bible. Just look at the Bible. Jesus replied, John chapter 3, verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The whole entire passage here, Jesus is talking to a very religious person. So in our lives, we could have sins of religion. Do you know that religion can become a sin? I'm not talking about loving God and people becoming a sin. I'm saying that you can do things to try to impress God that he didn't tell you to do, and you do that to build yourself up in pride. That is called religious. You can have false religion and be in sin. God here is speaking to Nicodemus, a religious Jewish leader, and he is telling this man, he's in the Jewish ruling council. Who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. That's like being a priest, a teacher in their their religion of Jewish faith. And he was on the Jewish ruling council. And this is what Jesus tells him. Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't get in. Now, 
What do you think is the title that Paul now calls people who are born again? Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Paul himself was a born-again Jewish follower of Jesus. How does he begin to refer to these people who have been born again? Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Go quickly because I want to show you three places. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, he's writing to the people of Ephesus. What does he call these people? Look at what he says here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to God's holy people. Now go up there and put it in King James, an ancient language, uh, Old English, so everybody can hear it. Because holy people is the translation of the Greek word hagios. Everybody say hagios. And if my wife, who's Greek, ever tries to tell you I mispronounce Greek words, don't believe her. Pastor's right. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead and say it the Greek way. Hagios. 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 Okay. I like Hagios. Know what I say? Hagios. I don't even know what I said the first time. Hagios. Okay. Look at just the King James. Same Greek word, but look how it's translated. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. Are saints dead people? No, they must be alive. They're there. Are you praying to them? Is Paul praying to these guys? Now go again now to the book of Galatians. Or rather, go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Two types of people. How many kinds of people? Two. I want you to remember that. There's not three. There's not four. Only two kinds of people on this planet right now. Saints and sinners. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Let's see if Paul uses this same terminology when he speaks to those who have been born again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people. Go to the King James so they can see it in another English word. What is the same word that we would say holy people? What's that word? Saints. Saints. Who are the saints, my friends? They're holy people, but who are the holy people? Born again people. Paul, an apostle of Christ, used by will of God to the saints. Now go to 1 Peter. Open up your Bible. Come on. I told you we're going to do it. We're going to work it out. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says about the Christian people that all of them could be said one phrase, that what we are. Peter, speaking about all Christians, gives us one phrase that he could say all of us are. You guys ready to learn this phrase? It's a beautiful phrase. Look at 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9. Go all the way down, sir. Chapter 2, verse 9. If you're loving Jesus, can I hear an amen? Amen. I want you to see the one phrase that Peter said that we all are. Look at it. If you're there, say, I'm there. We're in chapter 1, fellas. I believe I said chapter 2. Is that correct? Yes, we need chapter 2, verse 9. Let's give it up for our guys in the back. Got a lot of pressure on them back there. Y'all just enjoying it right here, but they got to work back there. It's hard for them. They need a raise. Amen. Somebody got to take them out to dinner, treat them good. We got a single man back there, Elliot. We want to talk about that because I don't want to embarrass him or anything, but he is single. Ready to mingle, fellow, uh, ladies. I'm all tongue-tied today. I'm just going to be quiet. Look, here's the phrase. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a what? A holy nation. So how does God call all, uh, how does Peter call all of God's people? A holy nation. How does Paul talk to us? He calls us saints. So what are you if you're born again? What are you if you're not born again? Sinner, go to John chapter 3, verse 18. 
John chapter 3, verse 18. I'm not trying to do uh, Bible uh, aerobics here to the point you get exhausted, but I want you to work your word today. I want you to see these concepts. They're in the notes so you can go back and study. John 3, verse 18. If you're there, say, I'm there. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, because how are we born again? We're born again by believing. John 3, 16, everybody say with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have. Boom, those are the saints of God. But listen, those who believed are not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. What? Everybody say already. How do they stand condemned already? Because they were born a sinner. They were born a sinner. Those who believe are not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. My child stands condemned. As my child grows up and chooses their sin, they will show their condemnation. If Christ was not merciful to children, they would die in their condemnation. When they have a choice like you young people have a choice, they must choose Christ or they will die in their condemnation. Young people will be in hell, my friends. I'm not saying children will be in hell. Around the age of 11, they get bar mitzvah. So I don't know the age when God holds our consciences accountable for our sins, but I know every young person in here, you are at that age already, and there are people in hell because they were your age and did not choose Christ, and they stood condemned already. You may say, Pastor, I don't like this deal. I don't like the way it's set up. I would rather go listen to another speaker, another church, another book, and believe it their way. That's fine. You can do the same kind of thing on top of this building and say, I don't believe in gravity, and jump off. Gravity believes in you. This is the truth, whether you choose to believe it or not. You can argue with it. You can thumb your nose at it. You can walk out of here and say, well, I'm just done with this church. Or you can say, this pastor did it, but I'm telling you this is the word of God. We're created holy, born sinners, then we choose our own sin. Jesus Christ, who loved the world so much and loved you and I and did not want us to go to hell, came down to die for us on the cross so that we might be born again because there's only two kinds of people, those who are saints born again and those who are sinners who remain condemned already. That is the truth, my friends. And I just want to park here for a few more moments, not so I can preach for the choir to clap and shout, but I just want you to get this in your heart and soul today. This is the identification of God himself. As real as Jesus Christ was as a person, as real as his resurrection was on the third day, his ascension and his soon coming, as real as Jesus is, this is the truth. And I speak to you like that because I know I'm speaking to a community where most of us already believe in God. Most of us would already take Jesus seriously, but yet we don't take this serious. We somehow want to think there is a third category in here somewhere called the good person. The good person is not a sinner and they're not a saint. See, the good person doesn't have to get born again like everybody else. This is what they say. You'll meet them on your job. You'll meet them on the street. The good person, the good person. I was a good person as a kid. 
I kept God's commandments. I didn't lie. I didn't steal. I didn't hurt anybody. I'm a good person. I take care of my kids. I've gotten married. I have a good job. I pay my taxes. I come to church. I'm a good person. I didn't need to get born again like you because you were a bad person. So they'll hear my testimony and they'll say, yes, of course, Joe needed to get born again. He was a sinner, a high school dropout. He did all of these wicked things. He needed that. I didn't need that. I'm a good person. But yet when Jesus sat and talked to Nicodemus, a man who was a leader in the Jewish faith, memorized most of the Old Testament, went to church on a daily basis, taught it to others. Jesus still told that person. You don't get in unless you're born again. He wasn't talking to the corner store drug, uh, the corner, a drug dealer. He wasn't talking to that crazy family member that always gets drunk at the parties and going to get drunk at Christmas parties. He wasn't talking to the prostitute. He wasn't talking to the Miley Cyruses. He was talking to the apex, pinnacle, top of the rung religious leader. And he said, you, sir, must be born again or you remain condemned already. See, there is no good person. Go to Romans chapter 3. I want to show you what Jesus says about the one who uses the argument, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't, I didn't steal. I didn't kill. You know, you just first of all, you're not comparing yourself to the right person. They compare themselves by themselves, and the Bible says they're fools that way. Well, who are you a good person compared to? Because to know good, you have to know bad. So where do you know that you're good? Where, where is your comparison coming from? Where, where do you get this idea, I was good? Because you've got to know a wrong answer to know that you, you've got to know the right answer. If it can be wrong, it can be right. So there's got to be a wrong thing here. So, so what, are you, what is the wrong thing to, to them? And every time they point to the wrong, to the bad, what do they point to? Murderers? Hitler? But are we being compared to other bad people, and then if I'm better than other bad people, then I'm a good person? No, how do I know if I'm a good person when I'm compared to the perfect person, Jesus Christ? Compared to the perfect person, Jesus Christ, how do you do? He never committed a sin. Are you willing to say you've never committed a sin? Then you're a liar, right? You may have never murdered anybody, but have you cussed in your anger? The Bible says in the book of Matthew that you lose in your temper is now the, the sin of murder. You say you've never cheated on your husband or your wife, but have you ever had a lustful thought in your heart? The Bible says now this is adultery of the heart. See, you're not a good person compared to Jesus. You're a sinner compared to Jesus. That's who you are. Be honest. And this is what the Bible says. Look at what it says in verse 4. Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Now, why do you think that has to be said right there? Because he's about ready to tell human beings who they are. And he knows human beings are going to try to justify themselves. Well, my religion doesn't teach me that. Buddhism teaches me different. Hinduism teaches, oh, you're a liar. You're, you Christians, you are a liar. No, no, no. This is what the Bible says. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Does that make Buddha a liar? Yes, it does. If he didn't tell you you were a sinner needing to be saved and born again by Jesus, he is a liar, liar, pants on fire. Now, what would you rather do, have me lie now about him? Oh, pastor, so me, he be picking on big old chubby Buddha. I like little chubby Buddha. My wife or, or my husband puts a little picture, of uh, a little uh, 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 statue of Buddha in our garden. You know, you'll see people decorating. You think Buddha's so cute. No, if Buddha had a religious philosophy that does not line up with Jesus, he's not a cute little figurine you put in your garden. He is an idol, and he is a liar. 
Let God be true and every man a liar. Let Joe be a liar. Let my wife be a liar. Let you be a liar. Every one of us are liars except God. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Keep going. But if our righteousness brings out God's uh, right, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? Is God unjust in bringing His wrath on us? He says, "Guess what? You're going to say, well, you know what? If I'm wicked, don't I make God look good then when I get compared to Him? Like when I play basketball, I don't want to play with the good folks. I want to play with the lame folks so I can dunk and look good." Isn't that kind of how God is? I mean, think about it. If I'm getting compared to him and boom, he's blinging and shining, I must be doing something right because at least I make him look good. So why would he judge me then if I make him look good? I am using a human argument. See, people would think that way. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Some might argue If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still a sinner? Now keep scrolling up, please. Here is why you are a sinner. Why not say, as some slander us as saying, let us do evil that good may result. The condemnation is just. What shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of what? Sin. Now keep reading. As it is written, there is not no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. How many understand? How many are righteous? See, this is the Bible talking. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. So what are those good deeds that person thinks they have? They are worthless to God. There is no one who does good. See, in their mind, they think they do good, but they don't understand. They're already tainted with sin. We just did a beautiful wedding here for the bride, Monica, as she was getting married. She had a white dress on. Now, what if all I had was mud on my hands and I tried to help her? No matter how I would try to help her, it would put mud on her. We are sinners. No matter what we touch, we stain it with sin. God never stands back and looks at what the sinner does good. It tries to do good and goes, oh, that's good. He always looks at it through the stain of sin, just like me with dirty hands putting my hand over her dress. Well, I tried to help. I tried to do good. No, it's still sinful. Your heart has not changed. I don't have time to read it all. Come on, somebody say preach. Let's go back to the notes. We were all created holy as a creation before God. Adam and Eve represented us. If you think you would have done differently than Adam and Eve, you don't know yourself. Even if you were put in Adam and Eve's spot and God did it over and over and over again. Let's say Adam and Eve fell, uh, uh, failed the test and then he has a trap door. They go away and then you guys pop up. How many know you would mess up? And then, you know, he could go through all of humanity and let us all start from the Garden of Eden and mess up. Or he could say these are our federal heads. These are the ones who represent all of mankind. That's why. It said in Romans, when they sinned, we all were born sinners with them. Now we choose sin by choice. What sin have you chosen? What things have you accepted into your life? If you are a sinner here today, Jesus wants you to get born again. He wants you to become a saint. He died on the cross for you. Now let's look at the two kinds of saints that there are. Because there are two different kinds of saints. There are disciples of Jesus Christ. And then there are worldly Christians. And what will blow your mind is that they're both saints. They're people who have legitimately been born again, but yet they keep living in sin. They're worldly. They're not unchristian. 
Though I believe that a person can turn their back and not become a Christian, they can backslide. Write down Hebrews 10.26. If we go on willfully sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is no more for a sacrifice of sin for us, but only a certain expectation of terrifying judgment. Hebrews what? 10. 26, write it down. I do believe we can backslide. But listen, there are genuine people who love God, who if today they died, they would go to heaven, yet they live worldly. And there's many of you here today that are like that. And so everything I just said was the introduction. Look at your neighbor and say that was the introduction. This is the message. This is the message. The message is knowing who you are. Who are you? Because I guarantee if I go around to most of you right now, you would say, Pastor, yeah, I've been born again. If you're in this church, most of you. Now, some of you have not, and so I just want to say this again. If you have not been born again, accept Jesus in your life. Repent of your sins, believe in him, and he will give you new spiritual life. That's what we talk about every week. That's what Lauren was talking about. That is for you today. Prayer workers will be up here at the end. You can do that. I accepted the Lord at a kitchen table. People accept the Lord at altar calls. You can go to your life group and accept the Lord. At some point, you have to do it or you're going to hell. It's that simple, but Jesus planned for you to go to heaven. He wants to give you eternal life. Everybody I say a saint. But when you look at the Bible now, there's two different kinds of saints. And he actually calls them both saints. So it's not that one is a sinner now. No, one is still a saint, but they're acting like a sinner. They have been born again, but they're not acting like. Let me show you the first example. Go to John 8, 31. Everybody say it's about to get ready to get real. It's about ready to get real. Go to John chapter 8, verse 31. I just got to read a few scriptures, and I'm going to tie this together and really preach it for the next 20 minutes. Be patient with me. I just got to get you all these scriptures. Some of you are learning this for the first time. We want to be patient with you. John 8, 31. Look at what it says. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him. What do you have to do to be born again? Okay, so these are born again people, aren't they? Unless you think you can believe in him and not be born again. How many know if you believe in Jesus, you're born again? John 3, 16. God sent his only son into the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here's some believers. Here's some Jews that believe in him. They say, I believe in you, Jesus. I know who you, you are. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You've come to save me. I believe you're my savior. How many have said something like that to Jesus before? I believe in you. You can't be saved without it. So these are the kinds of people he's talking to. But look at what he says. If you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Do you see now how he makes a distinction between this kind of person who just says, I believe, I know I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, and the distinction between somebody who says, I follow you, I do what you say, I live like how you live. I'm not just a believer in you, I'm a student of you, I'm a follower of you, I live like you. When people see me, they'll see you. Where did the word Christian ever come from? It came from disciples acting so much like Christ that people called them little Christ. These are Christ imitators, Christians. So he's saying to the believer, you now have to put your action with your faith, hold to the truth, you'll really be my disciple, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So there's actually some people who believe in Jesus that haven't yet been free. That's why he's telling them, y'all got to get free in your belief. You've got to change and be changed, rather, in your belief. And look what he says. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been the slaves of anyone. Now they want to argue with him. They say, you're saying I'm going to get free. Jesus, I don't need to be emancipated. I'm not a slave. Jesus is going to break the spiritual principle on them right now. He says, verily I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You may not say, uh, if, you're a, if a sinner's here today, they may not say, well, I'm addicted to my sin. You still are a slave to your sin. I'll show you that you're a slave to your sin. So simple. Right now, repent and be born again. If you don't say, yes, Lord, and repent, whatever comes next out of your mouth is your master. But I don't believe that. Then your pride is the slave, of your, uh, slave master of your life. Hello? The preacher says, be born again. The word of God says, born again. And you don't think you need to do that. The next thing out of your mouth is your slave master. My religion didn't teach me that. Your religion is your slave master. My parents didn't teach me that. Man pleasing is your slave master. I'm not ready to change. Your time schedule, your clock is your slave master. Hello, whatever comes next out of your mouth other than I will repent and get out of this condemnation and live like Christ is your slave, is your slave master proving you to be a slave. That's what Jesus said. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what he said. Thank you. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Everybody go there. And I want to show you just another example of this. Two kinds of saints in the world. Disciples and worldly Christians. And this is, I just, I cannot wait. To, I got to just read this. Two more scriptures, three maybe at the most. And then I'm just going to park here and we are going to get real about this. Even more real than I am right now. Amen. Lord, help me with these last 15 minutes. Go there quickly. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Now watch this right here. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brothers, the Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. What's another word for holy people? Saints. Okay, so he is talking to a church in Corinth, and he is saying, you are sanctified. You are God's holy people. You are this. This is what you are. But let's see if they live like it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said you're a saint. He said you've been cleansed. He said that you've been saved. You are a brother, a sister in Christ. This is who you are. God changed you. But now look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Brothers and sisters. He ain't calling them sinners, and he's very careful to only call brothers and sisters those who are truly in the family of God. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. I couldn't talk to you like you were a disciple led by the Spirit, but I had to talk to you, saints, as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Now, there is a place where an infant is a good place to be. It's a good place for a three-month-old to be an infant, to be breastfed. It's a problem when you got to part the whiskers to get the bottle in. It's one thing to change my baby's diapers at four months old. If I got to change your diapers at 30 years old, it's a mess. I got to put on gloves and a mask. He is rebuking them. 
He is saying you are supposed to be mature. You're not supposed to be in this place. You're supposed to be saints. You're supposed to be living as disciples, but you're living as worldly people. You're still like an infant. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not even ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So he's talking to a kind of Christian where you're supposed to be ready for the meat of God. You're supposed to be mature in the things of God. You're supposed to be living like a saint of God. And yet you live in like the world. He says you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I love that. Well, I thought we're all human. Yeah, but we're supposed to have superhuman power on the inside of us. I'm supposed to have the power of Jesus on the inside of me. I'm not supposed to trip and fall like every sinner down the road. I'm supposed to be living a holy life. I'm not supposed to be like this people on TV. I'm supposed to be like Jesus. You're not supposed to be like everybody else, a mere worldly human. You're supposed to be a holy nation, a chosen people, born again in the righteousness of Christ. You see, this is the problem, and this is why we need the sermon series, and this is why I had to give the introduction, because we don't understand this. We don't get this. It's, as a pastor, it, it, it's, it's frustrating to me. Not that I am frustrated at being a pastor. I'm just frustrated with ignorance. Because I will tell somebody, be born again. And then they'll say, well, I've done that. And then I'll say, live holy. And then they'll say, I can't. And they'll act like that's a normal life to live. Being worldly as a Christian is not a normal life to live. Being merely a human trying to do good is not the Christian life. You are not here to just say, I believe in the religion of Christianity now, and I'm going to try to do good Christian things. You'll never do it in mere human effort. You'll never live this Christian life that way. And so you'll be on this rat race. You'll be in this place of defeat where you just keep spinning around and around and around, and you'll wonder why you're not going anywhere. And then when the preacher says, you're supposed to be free from depression. You're supposed to be free from pornography. You're supposed to be free from all of that junk that came from Adam in the bondage bondage that you chose. When I tell you you're supposed to be free, the first thing you say, I'm just a human. Nobody perfect. But I thought Christ was perfect. I thought he perfectly died on the cross for you. I thought he perfectly saved you. I thought he called you a holy person. Now, you have to justify this in your mind. Is he either lying to you? Go back to 1 Corinthians, please. Was he lying to these people? Was he, was he trying to pretend with them? Sometimes my daughters will put on the craziest stuff, and I have to go, oh, y'all look so cute. They got on pink, what are, the, what are those things, tutus with purple polka dot leggings, something in their hair, some weird shirt on, some, you know, multicolored uh fingernail polish and what do I have to say you're all beautiful because what am I doing I'm looking past that I'm looking past that color and scheme whatever they're doing I have to look past the boogie in the nose is is that what Jesus is doing is Jesus just looking past this and just playing with them saying y'all sanctified but you're really worldly no 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 what he's telling them here is the point of the message The series is he's telling them you got an identity crisis. 
you don't know who you are. This is who you really are. You are sanctified in Christ. Your sins have been taken from you. You are holy in God's eyes. But you just don't believe it. You just don't believe it. That's what he's saying. And to me, my friends, this is the job of a pastor, and so I do it willingly and lovingly. And, and maybe the whole message today is the introduction because there's some things I want to share, and I don't know if I can get it all into it. Please come the weeks following. We're going to get into the Word and all of these places, but you have to make a decision right now. Are you going to believe this or not? Uh, because I can't force you to believe. I mean, I've showed you in the Word. If you don't believe the outline, please put back up the notes. If you don't believe the outline, I would really say seriously, talk to one of our leaders, one-on-one discipleship. Talk to someone in the life group because this is the framework that the whole message, I believe, of the Bible is built on and especially our series. And and that framework is really simple. I'm just going to share it to you right now. It's really simple. God created us holy. Adam and Eve sinned and made us all sinners. Then we chose our own sin. God said there's only two kinds of people now in the world, sinners and saints. And now there are saints who don't live like saints. They live like worldly Christians instead of godly on fire disciples. You see, that's the message, and that's what Christ wants us to do. So let me just say this before I get to the end of the notes. Rachel, would you come help me land this gospel plane? i got to come in for a landing. Amen. Let, Let me say a couple things before I get to these questions at the end. Do you ever... Think to yourself, there has got to be more to Christianity than this. And I want to qualify what I mean. Please hear me. Do you ever think to yourself, I don't see in my life like what I see in the Bible? Be honest. Because I feel that some of you have gotten in that place of frustration. I'm not just wasting hot air right now to be a preacher. I'm speaking to somebody's heart. Listen to me. Do you ever just look at the Bible and just go, that's not me. And I don't know why, but it's not me. I don't see myself like that. If you do, God is trying to show you there is more. For others of you, do you find yourself continually discouraged? Like you come to church, this is how I'm supposed to live. Yes, you're worshiping. And you're like, yes, this is who I am. And then you go out and you live this roller coaster ride of your faith. And you get here barely hanging on. I can't wait to get back to church. I'm so messed up. Because you don't know how to live it during the week. Listen to me, this is for you. There's another kind of prayer. I'm just trying to give some headings here to what I think some are describing their own thoughts as being. Have you tried to become a leader, a disciple, go to a class in a place like this, and yet you have get to one part of a lesson or one part of what you're doing and then busyness comes in your life and then you lose focus and then and then you find yourself going around the mountain and then you have to come back to the discipleship and you're starting over again and then you feel discouraged. And then you want to quit, and then you decide if you're going to quit or not, and you're embarrassed. Are you on this path of discouragement towards growth? Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and this is not your first church, and you're coming here, and you're discouraged at serving God. If that is you, this is for you. 
And then lastly, I want to share this. If you are here and you are saying to yourself, there is a sin in my life. There is a sin. I don't like it. I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it, but I've been confessing and repenting and confessing and repenting, and it still hasn't gone away. I don't know if it will ever go away. This is for you. Because what if, what if I told you that you were holy? Would you believe me? What if I told you sins were dealt with on the cross? What if I told you that you can be a new you in Christ? What if I told you that your past would be your past and what you live now would be your future? Would you believe that? What if I told you that the righteousness and the standard of good behavior has literally been imputed to you and given to you so that now you can do what you never could do? What if I told you there was a God who not only saves you from your past sins, but saves you from continually sinning? What if I told you there was a Jesus who actually redeems and renews and resets and revamps the mind that actually changes and washes and cleanses your thoughts where you don't think like you used to, you don't feel like you used to. You could hear the same kind of things that would bring you a feeling of discouragement, a feeling of depression but you don't feel it like you used to. What if I told you that? See, because that's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that Jesus loves you and came to make sinners into saints. He came to make the old new. He came to save that which was lost. Do those words encourage you today? Let me help you, amen, at closing. Let me just help you know who you are. Number one, have you been born again? If no, then you're still a sinner. It's that simple. If yes, then you're a saint. Now you, want to, you may say, well, I've been born again. I don't feel like a saint. Saint, stop arguing with God. Okay? You're either born again and you're a saint or you're a sinner. So which one is it? You got to believe one or the other, I mean, right? You know what you have done and haven't done with the Lord. Start there. Number two, after being born again, do you still live in bondage to sin? In other words, do you feel powerless against sin and live defeated? Do you kind of think of yourself like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like there's two yous fighting against each other at any given time? Be honest, because if that's you, that's a worldly Christian. And I don't have time to get into it, but let me just set it up maybe for next week. This is how the worldly Christian lives in a defeated sense. Watch. Before they were a Christian, they had no conviction of the laws of God. So when they lived, you know, however they wanted to live, they kind of felt like it was normal. Everybody around them did it. It was normal. But the moment this person becomes a Christian, now they know the things they're doing is wrong. So what the devil will do is now bring condemnation to the person who keeps doing the wrong right? And then now what he'll say is you're not good enough to be a Christian because look at all the times you fail. Then what this will do is discourage the worldly Christian and then the worldly Christian will try to get up all their self-will they can, all their inner self-help they can to try to change and then they'll watch it fail and then they'll be under condemnation again and then the devil will say, see, it doesn't work. 
And then what will they do eventually? Backslide. They'll say, this Christian thing doesn't work for me like it worked for Joe. It doesn't work for me like it worked for Ish or Tony. Why? Because the worldly Christian is not letting the truth of God set them free. They're not understanding that if anyone here is holy, it's not because of our inner work and our remodeling of our life. It's because of God's demolition work. It's because of God's power, and that's why we believe it. Why haven't I looked at pornography since 1996? Have I came up with mental games I play in my mind? No, I believe the truth of Jesus Christ that he made me holy, and he has set me free from perversion. Number three. And here's how you'll know if you're a disciple of Christ. It's very simple. Since being born again, are you free from all sin? Well, don't we all sin, Pastor? That wasn't the question. Do you mess up? Here is the question. Are you free from all sin? In other words, has sin become rare in your life, outside of the normal habit, and always when it happens, it brings you to repentance and change? You know it. This is not me. I should not live like this. God doesn't get glory out of this. I repent. I will live back who I'm supposed to be. I will go back to that place. I will not allow this to dictate who I am. See, that's how you know you're a disciple of Christ. Here's the scripture in closing because we don't want to point fingers and have all the disciples stand up and all the world of Christians stand up and be like pit you guys against each other and you arm wrestle up in the house. No, this is what we want to do. It's really simple. I want you to be honest with yourself and hear this scripture and just be real. Please be real. When I read this scripture in closing, do do you say to yourself with full assurance between you and God as your witness, because God's your judge, when I read this scripture, do you say in your spirit, in your heart, amen, this is me? Or is there something on the inside of you that goes, man, no, I need this? Because that will determine where you're at. Okay? I gave you the questions. Here's the word of God. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 through 9. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did Jesus appear just to forgive our sins? Is that why he just appeared? Did Jesus appear just so I could have a better life? Jesus appeared so he could do what? Destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? What has he been doing from the beginning? So Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now is that you? Can you look at God in your heart today and say, Lord, you know me. I can't go on sinning. I can't. I can't go on sinning because you're on the inside of me. And you give me the power to do what pleases you. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You said I'm holy. I cannot. I won't. I can't go on sinning. Is that you or are you sitting here making excuses for your sin? I already dealt with if you're a, if you're a sinner, you're just blatantly sinning. I'm talking about a person that you know you've been born again, but yet you know you keep going on sinning. You know you make excuses for your sin and you continue in it and you think that's how it's supposed to be.
The question is very simple. Is that you? Because that's not who he made you to be. We're going to stand up and pray in just a moment, but hear my heart today. It doesn't just change because a preacher preached to you. It doesn't just change because you come to an altar worker and have them pray for you, though I want that to happen. It changes when you believe who Jesus says you are and you do what Jesus said you would do. That's the moment it changed. When did it change for Peter? The moment he stopped doubting in Christ. The moment he stopped denying him. The next moment he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and for the rest of his life. When did it happen to Paul? When Paul was knocked off his horse and he said, I won't stop rebelling against you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you. When did it happen for me? November 5th, 1995. I didn't make myself get off drugs. I didn't make myself hate sin. Jesus Christ came into my life, made me a new creation, and he said, this is who you are. That's what it means to be saved. And that's what we can have today. You can have it. Your family can have it. Let's live it and let's learn about it. Are you ready? Let's stand to our feet. Give Jesus a hand clap. Come on, please. Let's give it up for Jesus. It's all possible because of Jesus. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Would you just close your eyes wherever you're at? I've done my best to give you the word. I just want you to pray right now in your own heart. Ask the Lord to show you who are you on the inside. Just say it with your eyes closed and your heart open. Jesus, show me who I am. Am I a sinner or am I a saint? Let's start right there. Jesus, show everyone here today who is a sinner and who is a saint. Just open your heart right now. He's going to speak to you. Jesus, speak to your people. Speak to those here that need to get born again right now. Tell them, Lord that they need it because they're not yours right now. They're sinners. They're still under condemnation. Come on, Lord. Separate the sheep and the goats right now and draw those goats to repentance. Draw sinners, God, to your love because we've all been there. We all needed it. We're no good people without you. There's no righteous people without you. Head bowed and eyes closed right now. If you're here today as a sinner, and that means you have not been born again, but you want to be born again, just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to make me a new creation. Right now, begin to pray that in your own words. Those who have already been born again, just begin to worship him right now. Thank him for the cross. Come on, just thank him. Thank him, those who have already been born again. Gracias, Señor, for la cruz. Thank you for the cross. Because of you, we are saved. Because of you, we're given a new life. Because of you, we get to live again. And now I pray for those who are accepting Jesus. Some for the first time. Some coming back as backsliders. Lord, I pray you make their hearts new. You transform their lives. Newness. Holy Spirit, renew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Being born again is by faith in Jesus Christ. Just a few more moments, those who need to be born again, we're waiting for you. Those who are born again, come on, you're worshiping, you're praying, you're thanking God for what he's done. Hallelujah. New life starts today. For some of you, new life starts right now. Right now it's new. Right now it's new. You're never the same again. You're never the same again. Confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. You'll never, never be the same again. Amen. Now. 
please be patient with me still with every head bowed and eyes closed very simple ask the Lord if you are born again you are a saint of God ask the Lord so simply Lord am I a disciple or am I worldly still Lord am I free from sin or am I a worldly person who am I Jesus as your saint as your child how am I living this right now Show me, Jesus. Show me my heart. Come on now. If you say you're born again, that means you know how to hear from God. He's going to speak to you. He's a good shepherd. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm convicted. I just keep on sinning. I know I shouldn't, but I just keep on doing it. And I've been making those excuses for a while that nobody's perfect and everybody has mistakes, but I'm convicted now. The Lord has spoken to me. I want to get free from the sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I want to be a child of God, free, free in Christ. If that's you and you came here today and you're saying, I want to be free from sin, just say to Jesus right now, Lord, set me free from my sin. Set me free from my sin and show me who you made me to be show me right now who I am so I can believe you in my time of temptation so I can believe you in my time of temptation that I will not fall every head bowed and eyes closed I don't have time to preach it but I just need you to hear it so you can get it now watch when Jesus was at the getting tempted and the devil came to him how did the devil tempt Jesus See, Jesus was not born a sinner like we were. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. If you ever wondered why, that's why. He had to be born of a virgin so his body would be perfect. Okay? But how was Jesus tempted? Jesus was tempted by his identity. Satan came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, do this and this. If you're this Son of God, do this. He tempted Jesus by his identity. He wanted Jesus to not believe who he was but to think about how he was living then and to fall for the trap of the devil that he had to do things another way other than God's way because his identity wasn't of God it was of the earth how do I know that when he came to him he was fasting Jesus was fasting and he said if you be the son of God if now that you don't think the devil knew who he was come on He said, if you're the son of God, tell these rocks to become bread. Why did he do that? He attacked his identity to get him to stop living as the son of God and start living as a mere human. And that's why he responded back with the word. He responded back. He said, it's written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this is the same thing the devil tries to do. The devil will come to you and say, if you're a saint, if you're a disciple, you won't lust after this. You won't feel this way. Look at you. If you were really changed, this wouldn't be who you are. And so since you feel this way, don't live like a saint. Just live like a sinner. God will forgive you. He tries to change your identity to get you to live like him. Now, those of you here today that are saying, I am worldly, I'm confessing, I'm coming to Christ. Now we all need to hear this. For those of us who have been living as disciples, for those who are new, everybody say this with me. I will be who God called me to be, and I will do 
what he called me to do. Now for 30 seconds, I want you to speak the word over your life right now. Like Jesus spoke the word over his life, I want you to speak the word over your life. Come on, tell the devil, I don't need that perversion. The Bible says that he'll provide all of my needs. The Bible says if I seek, I'll find. I don't need to look in that direction. I'll follow his direction. Come on, I don't need to withhold my tithe. The Bible says if I give, it will be given back to me. I don't need to be discouraged and go down the road of depression. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Come on, I don't need to worry about that situation. I put my mind on Christ, and the Bible says that he will give me peace that passes all of my understanding. Come on, you need to work the word over your life right now. If you don't know much of the Bible, just speak the word of God like this over your situation. Say, I'm a child of God, and I believe what he says. Come on, just speak it over your life. Lord, I believe. I believe who you said I am. Where are those areas you've been falling in? Where are those areas you've been tempted in? Speak the word over them right now. I am a saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child of God. Satan's been defeated. I am victorious. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm full of the joy of God. I'm full of the power of God. I'm full of the righteousness of God. I will not be depressed. I will not be a slave to sin. 15 more seconds. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. Could I just hear an amen from you? Before we leave out, just get it in your heart. The two major temptations in the Bible, Adam and Eve, Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve is the first Adam. Jesus is called to be the second Adam. What Adam and Eve didn't do in the garden, Jesus fulfilled when he was tempted. Here it is. It's so simple. When Jesus was being tempted, the devil questioned his identity. When Adam and Eve were being tempted, what did the devil say? Did God say? Question the word. There it is. What are the two biggest temptations a Christian will ever face in their life? Are you who God really said you are? And did he really say what he said? Did that take a master's degree? I got one, but did that take a master's degree to understand? Nope. You need my PhD to hang up on your wall to understand that. It would be nice, but no. The devil came to Adam and Eve and said, doubt the word of God. When, when the devil comes to you, what is he going to try to get you to doubt? Doubt the word of God. That's right. When he came to Jesus, he tried to get Jesus to doubt who he was. When the devil comes to you and Jesus is in you, who is he going to try, what is he going to try to do? identity there it is so if you know the word and you know who jesus made you to be the devil's under your feet you who christ calls you to be you holy boom shakalaka (laughs) would you hold somebody's hand right now look them in the eye and say i double dog dare you to believe what you just were taught come on look at your other neighbor and say he wasn't shucking and jiving he was preaching the truth and the truth will set you free Come on, let's pray, Pastor Ish. God, you're so good. You're so awesome. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. You have made all things new. Behold, the old has passed and everything is new. We are a new creation, holy nation, a peculiar people, a righteous priesthood. God, you've called us. 
As you are, so are we in this world. As you are, so are we, God. You are holy. You are true. You are righteous. And so are your children. So are your people. You are the God that dwells in us. And we will walk in our identity. We will walk in our holiness. We will walk in our righteousness. We will walk by the Spirit, no longer giving in to the desires of the sinful flesh. Lord God, we are holy. Remind us every day, Lord. Help us to remember who we are. Help us to remember why you died. It was for sin, to erase sin from our being. God, we are white as snow. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this message, God. Let it sustain us every moment when temptation comes. We will not receive it because we know who we are in you, a righteous, holy people in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name that's above all names. Amen. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, you are who he said you are. And you can do what he said you can do. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need prayer, sinner or saint, let us pray for you.